Okay, here we go, here we go. Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Welcome to Transfiguration Sunday. This is one of the best Sundays of the church. Music was fabulous, right? Only the only trouble is there are more people in the balcony than there were down the congregation. So, but, uh, they're pretty remarkable. It's always uh, thanks to you know uh, Peter and Nathan and everybody who's up there making everything work. It's just life's best when you don't notice things, right? Like you just it just kind of falls down over the balcony like it's a gift from heaven. So that was really really good and uh, welcome to Lent almost, right? But anyway, thank you so much. Let's pray. <clears throat> Christ our God, who was transfigured on the mountain and manifested your glory to disciples as they were able to bear it. Shed forth your everlasting light on us, your servants, so that we too behold your glory and we too enter into your sufferings and we too proclaim you to the world. You who gives light in the darkness, you who are yourself the light of all. Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. All right, it's good to see you. Um, it's very nice to have you here. There's so many things to talk about. The music was great, and Pastor Nelson uh, was, you know, I said that's as good a sermon as he ever preached, so it was very, very nice. It's interesting, the, you know, the clarity, that the extra study that he's doing on this theology of the body stuff, it kind of brings to life and to preaching. It's very, very nice, and that's full blast Lutheran stuff, that everything happens in the flesh and blood of Jesus. The offering goes to Lori Wilbert's prison ministry, if you had a million dollars and you wanted to give it someplace, it would be well spent with Lori Wilbert. She's a person who goes to and has for a couple of decades now a deaconess who goes to prisons, um, Stateville, for example, and, and she you know, teaches classes and has command of the place and has done great things. So we support her uh, through money that we send to the district. But she's just a very interesting, fabulous person. By the way, I should suggest her as a, you know, to somebody... You know, if groups, if you need somebody to come and speak, I'm sure she would love to come and chat with you sometime. So she's quite fabulous. Uh, Ash Wednesday is coming up. So 7 o'clock. Remember always, if you're newer, uh, if we have a daytime service like Christmas Day, it's always 10 a.m. If we have an evening service, special service, it's always 7 p.m. So no, no food this week. 7 p.m., full Eucharist. And then, remember, uh, dinner you know, through, the, through, through uh, Lent at 6 o'clock and then to Zay at 7. So kind of mark your calendars and reset your clocks and, uh, you know, sort of go with the Alleluia. You know, pay attention to that farewell to Alleluia at the end, right? We have had a great run. The Lord loves us. But in order to have feast, you have to have famine. In order to have joy, um, you have to remember sorrow. If you kind of look at that last hymn where things are so good, the first couple verses and then the third verse, you know, now's the time for us to sorrow a bit so we understand what indeed Christ is doing for us. So uh, pay attention, Ash Wednesday, come please at seven for your ashes and we will go from there. Then, of course, the big news of the week was that Pastor Kendall uh, took our call to come be our pastor, so that's very, very nice. We're very excited about that. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. I haven't talked to anybody, elder or governing board person, so this comes with a question mark. But what I'm thinking might be able to happen is that on the 3rd of May, you probably saw his, I think he said it in his letter, but he's going to stick with his congregation. He has catechumens coming, people coming to baptism, 
it's difficult to find people in a rural smaller congregation to fill in. He's going to stick with them through Easter, then take a couple of weeks and start with us the first of May. So here's what I'm thinking. If you if you see a huge problem with this, like get to me. But I think what we're going to do is kind of blow it out at 8:30 a.m. the first service on May 3rd, and then have a party after that, and not have a late service. That's the most critical part. We rarely ever cancel service here, right? We you're, it's always. But I assure you, there'll be 22 people who will show up for the 11 a.m. service on May the 3rd, and then we'll feel bad even though it's a day to feel good. So kind of put this in your head. The first Sunday in May, May the 3rd. No, we'll have Saturday service. No, this is only, only uh, Saturday goes on. Saturday, they're their own people. They're like Martians. They've landed here. They use the space. They are among us, but you can't really tell the difference. But then they disappear and... So, but they're welcome to come. Yeah, you know. Uh, no, but Saturday, Saturday night, folks, you're free to just, the second is just same, same, same. Just that we, on the 11 o'clock service on that day, because I think what will happen is people will want to come when he's installed the early service, and then the party will keep going, and then it would feel like a strange thing if, you know, 12 of us went to the back altar and had the second service. So anyway, if you're an elder or governing board person, kind of get that in your head. Musicians, you're teed up on this already. So let me know if you see a trouble with that, but there we go. All right, everything else okay? So I always come to this Sunday and I don't know what to do. I've certainly talked to you before about transfiguration and fasting. And then, but then, you know, sometimes people don't remember, even I don't remember, you know, what I said last time. I never know how much prompting you need. And there is a benefit to it and you probably didn't grow up with it. So forgive me if, it's, if you know all of this already, but um, indulge the people who are new or haven't been through it or haven't paid attention because... It is a really important thing. Now, the vicar is going to preach on Ash Wednesday. Is he here? No, he's not. We'll talk about him behind his back then. Because we're Lutherans, and that's what we do. So here's the thing. Um, if he says to you, you know, you poor people, you know, shouldn't have ashes or fasting or say your prayers on, uh, you know, because the text is always the Matthew text, which is if you stand on a street corner and say your prayers in order to be seen by men, or if you disfigure your face when you fast in order to be seen. The whole point is to be seen by men, Right? If you do it to show off or make a you know, big deal out of it, then of course, you know, and people even argue about whether you, know, you get your cross and wear it around. Believe me, uh, if you wear a cross all day on Ash Wednesday, nobody, but nobody is going to say, ooh, I doubly respect you because you're showing off and you have a cross for Ash Wednesday. That's not the problem you're going to have in American society right now. And for me, I always kind of like to, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I always like to watch especially news shows and kind of national shows that are always come up on Ash Wednesday because it's always interesting for me to see an interview with some hedge fund guy uh, on Wall Street who's got ashes chalked on his forehead. I'm like, really, Grasso? I didn't know that was you, right? It's just, it's so interesting. And there are people that I want to like click in and see. Are they, you know, because the boldness of wearing an ashen cross on national television on Ash Wednesday, you're kind of like, that is not about, you know, showing off before men so they respect you. That is taking your job in your hands. It is, it is a remarkable thing to watch. I'm always like, I always get kind of a new, you know, boost from people. I'm like, well, at least you got that going for you, um, even though you're still for that carried interest thing. So anyway, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what happens, all right? So, all right, and then this, you know. Um, among the, I told Pastor Kendall one of the first things for him to do is, you know, for a long time we've been sort of saying we need to get the icons in the back and then, 
you know, we haven't had time. There's even money available already in the budget. It's been carried around for a couple of years. And so I said, well, the first thing you can do, he has quite a collection of icons. He's very good. Um, he knows this stuff. And I said, well, the first thing you can do is help me find icons for the back. And then also, you know, Stations of the Cross, which, you know, we've kind of looked at that and talked about it off and on. And there is, you know, of course, um, the one that is less historic or has apocryphal things. But there actually is, John Paul II put in a new Stations of the Cross, which was all of which are biblical, right? And it doesn't, it's not, not a bad thing for us to learn to meditate, as Luther says, you know, on the scriptures or on scenes from the scriptures. So you never know, you know, what might happen. If I happen to win the lottery, you'll come back someday. The ceiling will be blue. There'll be gold stars and the Stations of the Cross, along with a different color, because nobody's ever said to me once this whole time, I really love that color you picked for the sanctuary. I've had a lot of conversations with the pastor. I've never had that one. So, you know, someday um, you got that exactly right. No, nobody's ever said that to me. So, uh, you know, you never know what could happen. All right, so here you go, right? Just take a second to, you know, read the text, right? There's another one that looks almost like this down on the screens today. And so as you read this, what are you meant to see? Can you remember what's in here? What's in here? Can you see? You have been here in the past. How does this work? When you look at that, where, where, what do you see? I'm sorry the colors aren't better. It's a, you know, by the time I take a copy and then print it. But Jesus is coming out of that, what is not black, but it's actually this very deep, beautiful blue color, which is what? What's the deep, beautiful blue for that he comes out of? Where from? The divine, yes, eternity. So here's Jesus. He um, appears from eternity out of this deep blue, kind of like falling into the sky or falling into the ocean. Jesus comes forward, and, you know, he comes with a bit of a flash. There's the red star behind him. Now, you know it's always a good thing when Jesus has his fingers like this, right? Right? Or like this or like this, right? The first two or three letters of his name. He, you know, he always, he's, he's, he's always nice when he has his fingers like this, because why? What's going to happen? He's going to bless you. He loves you, right? He loves you. And he's coming gently for you. He's not going to smack you. He doesn't have a sword. You know, he's going to bless you because he loves you. His, his other hand is open toward you. So like, I love you. And this is, I bless you. And then, of course, you have Moses and Elijah, you know, the law and the prophets, who, what? Give deference to him. They are holy. They have a nimbus. But yet they give deference to him, but aren't threatened by him. They're old friends, right? And uh, they make the connection as he does between, you know, then and now, even in the last hymn, the last hymn. I mean, everything was gorgeous today but the, the, in the last hymn where it says, you know, this is their song that they always sing, Alleluia, in the same way that the song of the angels is glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. That song is reserved for angels in the scriptures. And then in the liturgy, you get to sing glory to the Father and to the Son. You actually get to sing what the angels sing. You get to sing what heaven sings. You get to sing it right now because heaven has come to earth in the body and blood of Jesus at the Eucharist. So you know, this amazing connection in Pastor Sermon 2 where the body and blood of Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. This is the, you know, this is the connection and Moses and Elijah, law and prophets, understand this as, you know, fulfillment and long expected and now given as a great gift. There it all is. And then, you know, sort of us at the bottom, right? Peter and James and John. And in this one and the one downstairs are sort of tumbling um, upside down down the hill. 
you know, what one has, you know, eye, you know, mouth covered or eyes covered is often common, right? Or, you know, is this is this hand that's up on the left side? Is that defending himself from what's happening or waving hello or what? You know, what's exactly going on there? They're not particularly enthralled with this. You know, the sort of power that knocks you down. Well, you know, what what exactly is that? And yet. Um, they're not destroyed, and when they wake up, everything goes back to normal life. And this beautiful understanding that Jesus goes back with you to normal life. So I don't know if you remember, I think it's in Mark's Gospel where Jesus goes down from transfiguration, and the very first thing that he does, I mean, they just get to the bottom of the mountain, and there's a boy with a demon. And, you know, then Jesus, you know, heals the boy. The dad begs Jesus heals the boy. Uh, or it could be the epileptic boy that get cast into the fire. In any case, you have this wonderful experience up on the mountain. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. He is having his exodus. They actually use the word from the Old Testament, his exodus, right? His exodus. His, you know, Moses' exodus was through the Red Sea to the Promised Land. Jesus' exodus, you know, is down to Jerusalem through the cross to heaven. It's his exodus. But on the way troubles, and yet he's not overcome by that. He heals the boy, and then on he goes. And, you know, of course, for your own lives, and for my life too, this great story that Jesus, who um, is transfigured and is divine, sticks with you in everything that happens to you. So there's no place you can go, and Jesus isn't there with you. It's from your baptism, of course. You know, um, all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Wherever you go in time and space, Jesus is with you. And while you can't see the way ahead, that nobody can see where they're going, nobody can see the impact they have, nobody can see the trouble that they will suffer, nobody can see. You can't see till 10.30, right? You have no idea what will happen in the next 10 minutes. And yet the great confidence in the transfiguration is that Jesus comes with us off the mountain and into our troubles, and sticks with us even when Peter denies him. And then you have this great epistle today where Peter says, hey, we saw this with our own eyes. This is so interesting, right? So you have, the, the, you have Peter says, Moses is in the, on the mountain in the first one. Then Peter says, we saw it too with our own eyes. And the scriptures are given to us to make us even more sure. And then you have the description in the gospel of what it is that Peter actually saw. And he says to you, you know, so you have to remember that they're out of, you have Old Testament and then the gospel and then the epistle. So Peter says, you know, off we go, boys and girls. It's all going to be okay because Jesus sticks with us. And it even gets better. This from a guy who went down the mountain and denied, denied Jesus, right? I don't know the man. Jesus kind of looks over like, come on, man, we were just up on the mountain. And then Jesus doesn't abandon him, but what? He sticks with him. So all the things that you've done, the places where you've denied Jesus, the places where it's been too much, Jesus sticks with you, right? Talk about Jesus, don't talk about yourself. It's like, right? So um, there's your start to Lent, and uh, hopefully you can remember that as you move through. All right, just a little review for you. you know, take it home, pin it up on your refrigerator, and just think about it for the next um, 40 days plus three. We're almost there. I don't, you know, you still have Fat Tuesday to get through, but try to restrain yourselves, okay? Any questions just about that? This is old, I know, but you've seen it before. And um, 
Yeah, I just I want you to welcome it. Okay, then just in terms of um, fasting for Lent, I can be more bold than I was with you 10 years ago. I'm really begging you to fast in some sense. And actually, I'll be more bold than in the past. In the past, you know, when we started this, I kind of said, this might be a good idea. And then I said, why don't you really work at it and come see me if you need a little help. And then um, I think a couple of years ago, I said to you, maybe why don't you get a friend and sort of share, um, you know, because we always get so nervous that somebody's going to think too much of us. Just let me tell you from personal experience, nobody's going to think too much of you, okay? Or me. It's all going to be okay. This is not the problem we have going. The problem is that we don't put enough emphasis on this, nor do we understand the power of a communal fast. You know, the Day of Atonement, everybody knew everybody else was fasting, right? It always throws me when Klein can just um, come to visit and preach and they stay with me, because both of them, fa- I'm, they don't care, they both of them fast until their first Eucharist, which I'm always nervous because they're older, and it's a long time to the first Eucharist, and they're both working, and I'm always like, you know, you're going to make it. I mean, I'm thinking this, but they both are just like, you know, I've learned over the years not to offer them breakfast, right? Because they just keep the discipline because that's what they do. So in the same sense, I want you to sort of keep the discipline. And it wouldn't be bad, you know, if a few of you figured out something to do together and you did it, not as a like, you know, just like kind of on the down low, right? Just but with encouragement. And this isn't accountability partners. This is like, we're doing this together. How's it going for you? This is difficult, isn't it? Or what did you learn from this? And I've given you across the top, because you've seen a lot of the stuff on the inside, I've given you across the top. Um, that's an old description from like 2013 of when we talked about coming into orbit around Jesus, which I think still fits for you. Everything you do, you're trying to pull into orbit around Jesus. Jesus is pulling us into his orbit, right? So we talked about the spiritual disciplines that year. But then I just, people are always like, what should I do? So I'm going to be a, a little more bold with you. And then we'll sort of go through this outline. And if you recognize it, then you've seen it before. But if you don't recognize it, there's stuff to read. And I can help you with it if you want. But, you know, what could you do um, in the small print there? Well, no food is kind of the classic fast, right? Now, again, we distinguish fasting and abstinence. Abstinence is when you give up chocolate for Lent. That just means there's one thing you're not going to do. No food is actually no food. And sometimes no food and no drink. So sometimes people, you know, no food, no drink for some period of time. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you should be very careful with that if you do that because everything from uh, the medications you take to the work you need to do to um, I'm not a doctor. So uh, at least not that kind of doctor. So, you know, to just, you know, just be careful. But, and... I always advise less is better than more or a small start rather than a big start. But no food is kind of a classic fast. But then the next one from Nowen, he has a, there's a margin comment I send to you every once in a while. But this beautiful phrase of stepping over people's sins. So you know what? Maybe you give yourself 40 days where you step over people's sins. Yeah, I know law and gospel and you know, no people don't appreciate the gospel. I just gave you a big rant about how if there isn't, you know, they can't have a fast with, with feast without a fast and all that. You know what? But you could take 40 days off from judging other people, even the people around you. Just take 40 days off. 
fast from that. Now, I'm going to run you a range of margin comments. I think there's one just about every week. I hope there's one every week from the fathers where they talk about fasting as all kinds of things besides food. Food is obvious and in some sense easy. And they'll say this. They're like, you know, the most gentle is when Augustine says, when you don't have breakfast, make sure that you give the money to the poor. You didn't eat, make sure somebody else gets to eat. So he connects fasting and almsgiving. Or, um, you know, they'll say, yeah, what, what, what's the big deal if you skip a meal and then you go out in the street and you see your brother and you tear him apart? Really, what's the good of that? Maybe you should fast from what you say. Or they also talk about a fast is doing good for others. But in any case, just let me give you this. You know, stepping over the sins of other people. Just, you know, you remember this great noun thing where those people sin against you and you said you can sort of trip over them and you can engage them or you can just kind of step over them and just keep going. Just think about that. Um, tithing too, you know, this is a thing that always comes up, but this is not a bad time for you to take 40 days to rearrange your finances. Right? Now, I just want to be completely clear here. And I think I've done this so many times I can actually do it in a short way. You really want to aim at 10%, not because, um, not because you know, Jesus is holding over you, you're not going to heaven unless you do this, and this is a new law. You want to, you want to aim at 10% because 10% is a number that the church can work. You know, the church works at 10%. Everybody knows it doesn't work at 2.7%, which is the Missouri Senate number, because everything in the Missouri Senate is bankrupt, from universities to missionaries to blah, blah, blah. So I can just tell you, 2.7 doesn't work. When Jesus is picking numbers, he picks 10. Now, the critical thing here, and this is what people always misunderstand, is you shouldn't go home today, probably, unless you're just loaded. And if you are, call me, because I'll come over and tell you why your number should be 15%. Okay? But um, here, here's the thing. You, know, you shouldn't go home today and like switch everything up kind of cold. That's a little like saying, I'm going to have a 24-hour fast, no food, no drink every day. Yeah, you're going to be dead by Thursday. So the point is always if you're struggling toward, running toward what God wants from you, running toward what God wants, as opposed to running away from Jonah. You know, is he running toward Nineveh or is he running away from Nineveh, right? He's just, so you're just kind of running toward this. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to make your lives easier. If you run toward it, then you're going to be a congregation that doesn't have to talk about money all the time. If you don't run toward it, you're going to be like every other congregation in the world. I mean, read Christianity Today in the last month. There have been all kinds of articles about failing churches and how they have to change, and millennials will never give any money, and people will only come to church once a month. They're never going to blah, 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 blah. It's sort of like, so what? Right? You kind of want to say, those aren't our people. I mean, this is the new, I don't want to pick on one group, but, you know, this is a, and especially millennials, because I actually like them. And I think there's a lot going on. I think there's a lot of positive with them. Plus, they've all settled down to your satisfaction now. They're starting, did you see that the average stay at, stay at your job rate was up to like six years as opposed to like three years? And now they're starting to buy houses, which will encourage all of you because you boomers will be able to sell to somebody. It's great, right? <laughs> so you're going to start to love them a lot more. You should just, just break down and love them now, okay? Uh, but it's, 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 it's uh, you know, there's this notion that if you come to church, one, I talked to a pastor in New York City, he says, if people who, in my congregation, people who come once a month, they're considered really good, faithful Christians. You kind of go, geez, once a month? I mean, despite all that third commandment nonsense, 
You're never going to get any kind of commitment in any of the way out of somebody who comes to the Eucharist once a month. I mean, that's barely surviving. The point here is that you're all struggling together in the same direction. You know, we're bumbling along. We're all going to take false steps. We're going to get it wrong. People at the top are going to be proud. People at the bottom aren't going to understand it. People in the middle are going to think I'm crazy. Whatever, okay? I'm just telling you, the church will run at 10%. If you want to be a church that works, aim toward 10%. Believe me, my role model is the priest in uh, Les Mis. You remember how in the midst of Les Mis where the guy, the guy breaks in and he says, you forgot the candlesticks? Remember this? But you remember the other thing is, is that he lives on 10% and gives 90% away. I'm still working with Kirby on this. <laughs> However... What she doesn't know is if I drop dead, everything is in a trust with Yonker to give 90% away on the day that they bury me. So you'll want to check with him, okay? Because don't worry, there'll be plenty as long as you like grits. So um, so no food and no drink goes with that. You know, another thing you could think about is just reading, reading scripture or reading or praying the Psalms. You know, if you don't, if you don't this is a way to fast. You Take some time that you would use. You take some time away from something else, whatever video game you're playing or whatever show you're binging on in Netflix. You take some time away from that, and you spend a little time each day with Scripture. I mean, if read the Gospels. They're easy, right? Read the Psalms. They're part of your life. So um, one way of fasting is to pick up your Scriptures and begin to read that again. Regularly, the fathers and mothers of the church say, you know it would be really good for you? If you would fast from being angry. Think about, um, you know, you're pretty civilized people. You have to go to an office every day. You know that HR will be there if you have an outburst. But, you know, kind of that low level, you know how worry is like low-grade fear? Um, You know, worry is just kind of, worry is low-grade fear. You're really afraid of something, but you can kind of tamp it down enough. In the same way, that constant disruption of, you know, you're just off and a little bit angry at people, right? Now's a good time to kind of clean that up and let that go. Um, in the same way, say in your prayers, if your prayers have suffered, you know, get a prayer book. Set your alarm, uh, morning and evening. You know, say, even if you just said the Lord's Prayer twice a day, your life would completely change. Um, Then this kind of, um, you know, one that's a little bit more gentle, but maybe the whole notion of giving offense and taking offense. We all never, we never think we give offense. You know, I do everything just right. But if there's something went wrong, it's clearly your fault, right? Right, giving offense and then taking offense. What do they mean by that? I can't believe they treated me that way. To which, of course, the baseline is, relax, it's not about you. You thought it was all about you? It's not about you. You know, the guy running the, running the register at the Apple store, he doesn't really care about you. He's thinking about himself. You just happened to interrupt his time for a moment. It wasn't about you. Just relax, right? You know, people who cut you off in traffic, they don't know your name. Don't make them pop a couple of shots off for Lent. Just kind of relax, okay? It's all going to be okay. You know, give offense, don't take offense. Giving alms, of course, um, you can find some place that, you know, you can find some, why don't you find, why don't you give a hundred bucks a week to Lori Wilbur, in addition to all the other things you're doing, or somebody else, but you couldn't go wrong if you gave, if you gave her a hundred bucks a week for the next six weeks, pff, 
wouldn't make any difference to most of you. And for her, it'd be like, wow, I can keep going to the prison and doing all kinds of work that we aren't doing, right? You know, the tongue, of course, right, which has come in different ways. Giving time. You know, it's um, Essie month, right? They're a little bit out, but, you know, they would still take you in March, right, or someplace else. The wonderful people from here who go over to uh, the convalescent center and push wheelchairs once a month so people can get to church or go to the soup kitchen or go to Grace. I mean, there are people all around here who are going and doing crazy, great things. Or just, you know, the notion of just um, kind of walking away from trouble or when you have the choice to say the kind thing. Or maybe, you know, if you like this, then learn to read an icon. Maybe just, it's very easy even online, but you go to the Catholic bookstore, you can get an icon for five bucks. I mean, just put an icon in front of your face for 15 minutes a day and see what that does to you. Google up what it means. Look for the colors. What does blue mean? What does green mean? What does red mean? You know, what is that round gold thing around their head? Why are hands open or closed? Why does one eye look different than the other? Just kind of think about that. It'll take you places, you know, you won't believe. Or, you know, alcohol or chocolate or whatever. Okay, if you want to abstain from something, kind of common. Um, Maybe difficult, uh, but that's a good reason to do it. And then, um, you know, the last one is just the ability to empathize. Our world has, what's startling is um, all the people, especially in this political season from all sides, who are telling me they care about me, who I'm sure really don't care about me, right? They're telling me they care about me because they want something from me. They're not telling me they care about me because they will do something for me or for us. It's sort of startling. And you can see that in the way that people cannot be forgiven for past sins. And it's so interesting because this will shift on a dime, right? You know, this was the sin, and now this is the sin, and whoever gains power gets to define what the new sin is. That has no, there's none of that is of any benefit for me or for us. That's a benefit for the person who wants to be the president. And it's across the board. Right? All people. It's an, ama- it's an amazing, um, the low level at which this game is being played. Right? So, um, you know, maybe uh, in your own life, you don't have to be defined by those people. You know, the great, I remember reading this thing, an article about the great physicist Richard Feynman, and he was um, concerned about some reviews of his work that other physicists had written. And Feynman was, you know, of course, a man among men. I mean, This is, you know, your Einstein-level type stuff. And his wife leaned across the table at dinner and said, why do you care what they think? I kind of want to say that to you, right? You said it to your kids. Why Why do you care what they think? Why do you care what anybody else thinks? Wear your ashes on national TV on Ash Wednesday. It's flipping Ash Wednesday, right? Why do you care what they think? Because you might, in one sense, you know, that strength in your own a conviction of what Jesus will do. But in another sense, um, to be empathetic toward people who appear strong, but at every turn show you that they're really weak. And so the ability to kind of step over those sins and to understand where other people are. 
So I do this only to sort of stimulate your creativity. You have a couple of days yet before you get there. You have a couple of days where you can think about what your fast might mean. But I really want to encourage you, and I want to do it today because I want you to you know, get ready by Wednesday. Kind of think about what will you do. Try not to think about if you'll do it or not. I'm kind of begging you, just go ahead and do it. We, we've been doing this for 10 years now. You know, it's bold enough to say, fast for Lent, okay? Everybody does it. All the cool kids do it. I mean, it's the very first line of this thing. You can look it up. Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Jesus, and Paul, they all fasted. And the part of the text on Wednesday is Jesus is going to presume everybody's fasting. He's going to presume you're fasting. He's just going to say, don't do it in a way that's showing off. In the same way that Jesus presumes you're all praying. He just presumes everybody's praying. When you pray, okay, you're praying. When you fast, okay, you're fasting. He presumes you're going to do it. But now, just take, you got 72 hours, right? So kind of think to yourself, what is it that I will do? Which is a completely safe thing to say in the church after the Eucharist in the realm of sanctification, right? What is it that I'll do in the image of Christ? What is it that I'll do that will um, increase the efficacy or benefit of these 40 days, right? Remember, um, you get Sundays off because you can't uh, fast on a feast day and every Sunday is a feast day. So I guess if you want to be mean to your wife and kids on Sunday, I guess that's okay because you don't have to. <laughs> and let me think this all the way through. It might take me another day or two. But in any case, uh, you know, Sunday is, a, is, a, is, not a, is your free day, right? And you remember when you count to 40, it really adds up to 46, but you leave out, you leave out the Sundays and starts and finishes and it all works out. And then you get... 40, which is a nice number. You heard it in the Old Testament today. They were there six days, then they were there seven days, then they were there 40 days. You kind of go, six, seven, 40. Yeah, I know all those numbers, right? You know all those numbers. Those numbers are all in the font, downstairs, in the floor. They're everywhere. So very quickly now, we'll do 20 pages in five minutes, okay? (laughs) It'll be easy because you've seen it before, right? All the cool kids, number one, all the cool kids fast right? And number two, they do it as a gift and a blessing. It's right there in the Augsburg Confession. So, you know, have a look at that if you want. Um, And it's for your whole thing. You shouldn't just figure out if you're giving up, you know, chocolate or if you're kind of clamping your tongue down a little bit. You shouldn't think that your tongue can be isolated from your soul or your mind, right? it, It goes with your whole body. Now, the most important thing maybe for you all is, it comes at number four. Fasting is a response, right? You didn't think this up. Fasting is a response to a sacred moment. Something happened, and now we're going to fast. Now, sometimes the sacred moment is the Lord saying, let's have a fast once a year. Let's just take one day off a year so that everybody knows that you're sinners and I'm here to save you. Right? So the sacred moment is that God prescribes it. But another way a sacred moment is when somebody you love very much dies. And if you've ever been through that, every one of you have been through that, you know that the first thing, you, you, food has no, you have no interest in food. Right? He's just sort of, sort of down deep, you know, this is a, when somebody I love dies. We're broken. What will we do? Well, one of the things that we do is, is we fast. So 
It's this fasting is a response to a sacred moment, whether it comes to us naturally or whether it comes um, from the Lord saying, hey, do this. Now, just after that is the next thing. It's very important for you to understand that fasting is not a this for that. It is, in fact, true that sometimes, take Nineveh, for example. Jonah finally gets there after he gets vomited out by the big fish. And he finally gets there, and then he says, this is not going to work. And he preaches, and you remember, it comes to the king, and the king's like, whoa, this is a sacred moment. A prophet showed up. We're all going to fast, even the cows. Do you remember? Even the cows get religion in that story. Nobody eats, not even the livestock. Right? The response is, and maybe the Lord will do something, but maybe not. So you shouldn't think that your fasting is about, you know, sort of bumping and nudging Jesus into doing something. He's already done all he can do for you. What more could he do for you? This is a way that Jesus helps you understand that your food or your beer or your money or your anger or whatever else you've got going on in your life isn't to your benefit and isn't the thing that holds you up at bottom. Right? At bottom, what holds you up is the transfiguration. At bottom is what holds you up is the glory of Christ found in the body and blood of Jesus Christ down the mountain sticking with you. You're not, you don't fast to get something. This isn't a this for that. There is no this for that anywhere in the followers of Jesus. This is, you know what would help all of you all? You know what would help you and you know what would help me? You know what would help us? If we were more disciplined about what we ate and drank, if we were more disciplined in our prayer life, if we didn't crank at each other, if we all tithed and gave alms. You know what would help us? If we stepped over other people's sins and took a month or a year off judging other people. You know what would help us? If we prayed the Psalms and read our scriptures and said our prayers and came to the Eucharist. I mean, this isn't a trade-off. This is, this is you know, driving the Ferrari that sits next to the Porsche that sits next to the Mercedes in your garage. I mean, if you think that's a punishment, okay. But the only way of the punishment is you can't drive them all three at, one, at once, right? So this is six. It's not, um, it's not cause and effect. But what does this help us do? There are two things at least that it helps us do. One is, this is all under number six, it helps us see things from God's point of view. Right? It helps us to remember that God has a point of view. And it lines us up with God's point of view. So we begin to see the world not from my tired old heart, but from the Lord's heart. That's um, what it does. And then the second thing is sort of tucked away in the back. You know, what does all of this do? Uh, Way down at number 14. It helps us remember that everything depends on the Lord and it helps us get a rhythm to life. And so an ordered life, a non-chaotic life is divine. It helps us toward justice, right? Read the text. The text is very interested that everybody has a place to sleep, that people are treated fairly, that everybody has enough to eat, that widows and orphans aren't left behind. So in helping us remember other people, right? Um, And I've given you scads of church fathers to talk about that. It helps us in repentance and in discipline, and in building new habits, um, and in chasing the demons away, Jesus says, you know, and I, you know, I just will say to you, the longer you're at this, the more you're going to have the sense that the demons are right here beside you, and if you're suffering from them, you might as well go ahead and poke them in the eye. 
You're going to start a fight, but the odds are on your side. Between Jesus and your guardian angel, it's probably going to be okay. So, um, you know, you just go ahead and have your fast. And, you know, of course we're going to screw this up. And if, in case you aren't good at screwing things up, I've actually given you a list under number 13 of all the ways you could screw it up. So if you're not creative in your sinfulness, just turn to number 13. Lucky 13, it's all right there. And if you want to feel abject guilt for no reason, or if you'd like to cheat on your fast, or you'd like to judge other people for not being as good as you, go ahead and read through. There's a dozen ways you'll be able to screw this up. It won't take 40 days. It'll all be okay. It'll get to you right away, okay? So anyway, I know we've got to go. But the point of all this is, we've done this before, kind of in depth, but what I want to get to you in this sense is that you would, in fact, take this seriously, approach it with some discipline, be thoughtful before Wednesday, think about whether you want to work with a couple of other people, or maybe a couple of other couples, or maybe kids and families, maybe another family you want to work with. Mark this out and understand this as a discipline that makes you better, right? Paul, I don't box its shadows, right? I subdue my body. I discipline my body and subdue it, right? I discipline my mind and subdue it so that all things are what? Oriented toward Christ who was transfigured today. So what I'm hoping is that you'll make a good use of Lent. And then the last thing is, this will help you in ways that you don't even understand. Usually when we do something like this, we have the sacred moment. Somebody dies, we lose a job, a kid gets hurt. Um, we're extraordinarily fortunate. Jesus calls a fast. Pick something. And we normally think, okay, A to B. And even though we try to break the connection or we think we know, we still think we know where it's going, how it's going to turn out. What about this? What if you just do the things that Jesus asks you to do? Because he asks you to do them. And don't make all the excuses about, oh, this is under the law, or blah, 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 or cooperate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Hey, I'm old and I'm tired. Look, just listen. Just for the next 40 days, just do what Jesus asks you to do without knowing where you're going and without knowing how he'll bless you, right? What, what, just, how about just giving it a go once for 40 days? We'll all wake up together on Easter and let's see what happens. If you don't do it, the penalty for not changing is to remain the way you are. But if you do it, you might be surprised 40 days from now. All right, I love you. Let's go to church. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks, love you. See you next time. We'll go back to the, we'll go back to the, the sower next week if I'm brave enough. See ya. <laughs>